Next on Making Sense of the Madness, we'll be touching the taboo topics that the mainstream media doesn't want us to cover with the founder of Revolver News, Darren Beatty, and analyst Chris Paul. We're going to question the mainstream narrative and expose media propaganda right now. Well, Darren Beatty is the founder and editor of Revolver News, formerly served in the White House as a speechwriter and policy aide to President Trump. So, Darren, thanks so much for joining. You know, you wrote the forward, a pretty hefty forward, <laughs> to a book that just came out. This is very interesting. It, to me, it seems like an epic troll. Uh, but, uh, you know, this is uh, the January 6th report. And many people on Amazon are going there. They're leaving reviews saying that they they love the January 6th report, and yet the forward uh, debunks everything about the January uh, 6th committee and, and the so-called investigation that they did. Can you tell me how, how this book came about? You know, it's a great question, and it's a great story, really. Um, so as your audience may or may not know, there's this uh, entity called the January 6th committee, uh, which is essentially a just completely um, biased witch hunt operation that's meant to create a public spectacle and generate support for the prosecution of Trump, but ultimately kind of cripple President Trump's prospects politically in the future by attaching him to some false narrative about January 6th. And the January 6th report, which is the ultimate findings of this bias committee, like, say, the 9-11 report or other such government reports, this is a public um, document. And so a number of publishing houses have taken it upon themselves to kind of publish the public document, but attach to it an introduction that contextualizes the report. And in most cases, they get some quote unquote expert to write an introduction that's simply redundant to the same narrative that you'll hear on CNN, the same false narrative, by the way, that you'll hear on CNN and other regime outlets. But Skyhorse, which is a very interesting publishing house, um, a subsidiary of Simon and Schuster, they took a risk and they decided, hey, let's have the public hear the real version, the version that you're not supposed to be exposed to, the version that the media freaked out about when Revolver.News first started our coverage on January 6th. And they said, let's ask Darren Beatty if he'll write an introduction to this. And, you know, I was happy to do so because I think the American people, at least the people who can stomach it, deserve the truth about this event, no matter how dark, no matter how dirty, no matter how uncomfortable it actually is. And so the Skyhorse version of the January 6th report that's available at Skyhorse, it's available at Amazon, as you mentioned, with an introduction by Darren Beatty, you can see in this introduction a comprehensive one-stop shop that, in all humility, simply demolishes the January 6th committee any notion of that committee as being a disinterested, objective, fact-finding vehicle for January 6th. But more importantly, we explore those dangerous questions that the committee was set up specifically 
to cover up and to obfuscate? And those are the questions that truly get to the beating heart of what really happened on January 6th and expose the events of that day as not an insurrection like the senescent um, diaper clad president Biden would have us believe, but rather a Fed surrection, which is a term that I coined with Revolver.News to characterize what January 6th actually was. It was indeed a Fed surrection. And if you want to read all of the dirty details of it, get this report and go to Revolver.News and see for yourself what kind of country you actually live in. There's just so much to to debunk, and 65 pages of a forward uh, is is a lot, and, and it's just hilarious to go to Amazon.com and read the reviews of all the liberals who uh, were expecting, uh, you know, a cheerleader to re- to start the forward and just have all of the same talking points kind of uh, reaffirmed by by the person who wrote the forward to, but instead to be given a red pill suppository by you. Uh, so if anyone wants a good laugh, go to Amazon, start, start reading the reviews. Uh, but, you know, I want to dig into some of these issues that have come out recently because uh, McCarthy gave access. Interruption. I myself, I can't wait until this is over because I can't wait to go and read these reviews myself. I haven't even seen these reviews, so I think I, I have a <laughs> lot of amusement in store for me. I can only imagine what, oh. what they have to say. Well, I have one here in front of me. I'll read it for you. But for I it. fell out of my chair because they're all like this. It says, okay, so unfortunately, the first 64 pages are a rebuttal by President Trump's former speechwriter. The rebuttal is a travesty. It is filled with lies, pushes conspiracy theories, downplays the seriousness of Trump's behavior, and tries to shift blame to everyone but Trump. I tried to give it a fair chance, but finally gave up when I realized there was nothing of substance to it. No facts to back up his lies. Just lies, lies, lies. I can appreciate that all political documents or speeches should allow a rebuttal. Otherwise, we are arguably only hearing one side of the story. However, I think the rebuttal should have been placed at the end of the book, not the beginning. I think the rebuttal is so poorly written and poisonous that many people will give up rather than read through to get to the actual January 6th report. Of course, maybe that's the reason it was put at the beginning and not the end. So, you know, there are even funnier ones. I just happened to grab that one. Uh, but, uh, you know, the, it, it seems like the way this was framed by calling it the January 6th report uh, got a lot of liberals immediately interested in, in uh, grabbing a copy. Well, you know, that's so, what I was we, saying. You know, we, we, should been, we should be advertising this and, you know, The Economist and The New Yorker. We want as many, you know, liberals <laughs> inadvertently purchase this version, <laughs> proudly display it on their coffee table, not knowing, uh, you know, that it's, it's a Trojan horse for the truth, so to speak. Yeah. I mean, I, I never would have guessed uh, that I was going to be digging into that when, when I was preparing for this interview. So it was it was a welcome surprise and a welcome laugh that I got because all of the reviews on Amazon, there are over 10 of them are exactly like this and some are even funnier. Uh, but, you know, I wanted to dig into some of the January 6th issues because McCarthy uh, gave access to Tucker on the all the thousands of hours of footage. And there's some controversy surrounding that the mainstream media is uh, having a conniption fit over it. Let's take a look at that. Because there is a security issue here. Um, uh, the, the, the idea that this is not 
public footage. This is stuff that is has not been released publicly. It's now been given over to uh, to Tucker Carlson. Irrespective of what you think about Tucker Carlson's coverage, what's the security risk here, Frank? Yeah, so what we're hearing, and in fact, NBC reported earlier today through Ali Vitale, is that there are legit security issues that could be exposed here. For example, what Ali Vitale cited was a concern that the the reason we've only seen Nancy Pelosi first uh, removed from the floor and then next see her in a room secured and safe is because we that we were not supposed to see the, the movement from the floor to the room because it would expose the safe room and the, the route that kept. So, Darren, did you ever expect I mean, you probably assumed that the regime didn't want any of this footage released to the public, but did you ever expe- expect that they would reach this far? to make these types of claims about why the public should not see it. I mean, it's it's ridiculous. And it's even more so if you understand who some of these commentators are. I did another interview where one of the commentators complaining about this was Rick Stangel, who is the self-described former chief propagandist under the Obama administration, who's since taken upon himself to push for the redefinition of the First Amendment, such as to carve out hate speech for censorship. This particular individual in the clip that you showed, Frank Frank Fugliosi, um, who's, he he belongs to the kind of um, dumb, bebop, and rock steady sort of enforcer class of the FBI, whereas, you know, in a serious country, he'd probably be at a deli somewhere selling cannolis. But the thing is, is what are they so upset about? They're pretending like they're pretending like the issue is, oh, why does Tucker and his people get to hoard all of the material? But what it's really about is they don't want the public to see the material. And frankly, I wouldn't see anything wrong with you know, after Tucker goes through it, uh, vets it, uh, does some reporting on it. I wouldn't see anything wrong with making all of the material available on an open source basis because there's a lot of it. And, you know, frankly, one thing that I'm kind of concerned about is that this is almost like a needle in the haystack concession from McCarthy. So like, here's 40 plus thousand hours of material. It's going to take you know, months at least to go through it. And what's going to happen while, you know, while Tucker's people are going through it, Kevin McCarthy perhaps moves on. And so I think in order to take maximum advantage of this opportunity, there really needs to be a targeted approach to how you go about searching for the highest leverage material that might be available in this avalanche of footage. And secondly, um, maybe as a second uh, wave to kind of WikiLeaks the material and uh, put it out there in the open for kind of crowdsourced journalism. That way you totally preempt any kind of future objection. You force people like Figliuzzi um, to basically acknowledge what they're really worried about is the public having access to the truth and not being mediated through regime-approved apparatchiks. Right. You know, when the January 6th committee showed footage, it was always conveniently clipped and context taken out and changed. And so you always wondered uh, what the truth was. Now that this footage is coming out, 
uh, we're going to be able to perhaps do a side by side and see what the uh, propaganda version of the clip was and then what the other version uh, would be with context, for example. But when you think to yourself about what's already released to the public, what, what people already have had access to, what kind of narratives have already been uh, countered with what's already available versus some things that you'd be interested in finding out uh, within this footage, what are some of the, the highest leverage, as you called it, uh, categories that we should be looking at, uh, you know, like police inviting people in, uh, police uh, instigating violence, uh, police brutality. What are the types of things you might be looking for if you were the one combing through this footage? Counterintuitively enough, the things that you mentioned are precisely the things that I wouldn't um, really focus on chiefly. Obviously, if those come up, we want to put them out. But the thing about all of those uh, categories that you mentioned, police opening the doors, police, you know, unnecessarily aggravating the crowd by firebombing, police br brutalizing uh, the protesters and so forth. We already have fairly extensive video of things in all of these different categories. And so it would be nice to have additional reinforcing footage, but it's doubtful that just finding more of those things would really advance the issue at a narrative level. And so um, what I've advocated for is a targeted focus of two things. One is focus on what you can find in relation to the so-called January 6th pipe bomb around the DNC building. Now, the Capitol Police footage, their cameras are probably not going to be as extensive uh, in terms of coverage of that area as the DNC cameras. And my number one priority, incidentally, would be to get the DNC to cough up the chain of custody of its surveillance footage that the FBI has released and that Revolver News has proved definitively has been both censored and artificially tampered with, such as to make it virtually impossible to discover the identity of this alleged pipe bomber. But I would see the extent to which the Capitol footage could shed additional light on this. Secondly, and more importantly, in terms of its probability of success, I would watch with an eagle eye all of the footage that the Capitol Police uh, have that focuses on the peace monument, that whole area by the western perimeter of the Capitol where that initial and decisive breach occurred, the breach that is very infamously associated with an individual called Ray Epps, who's been the subject of a lot of our reporting at Revolver.News. And I think it's safe to say we kind of helped make him a, a household name, but for for dubious reasons, his participation uh, is really in a cloud of suspicion that I think any common sense person kind of understands that his participation and subsequent protection uh, lends itself to no innocent explanation as to what he was up to there. But there are other characters equally as egregious as Ray Epps, and many of whom haven't even been identified. They're characters that are chronicled extensively in the now classic bombshell revolver.news series, Meet Ray Epps, Part 1 and Part 2. And anyone can find these and watch the video. I promise it will shock you to your core. Revolver.news, go to the January 6 exclusives, Meet Ray Epps, Part 1 and Part 2. Specifically in Part 2, we go through a cast of characters that were all pre-positioned at that initial 
a breach site who all played a critical and mutually complementary role in creating the preconditions for the rally to become a riot, and all of whom uh, have enjoyed protection from prosecution or indictment, and many of whom have not even been publicly identified. So I think if we go through the Capitol Police's footage of the peace monument between, say, 10 a.m. and 1 p.m., we could perhaps find better high-resolution footage of this suspicious cast of characters such as to make it more easy to identify them. And there are some individuals whose participation is so damning and so egregious that I think simply the act of getting a positive ID would amount to a scandal of national proportions. That's a really good point that we already have, you know, some footage that has identified people who may be feds who may have had earpieces and identifying pieces of clothing. They were doing questionable things, just like Ray Epps encouraging people to breach the Capitol, even took credit for it by text message later. And yet he was protected in a um, fluff piece by The New York Times and certainly protected by the January 6th committee. So it, it does make you wonder how many more Ray Epps there are. And you guys have been all over the pipe bomb story. This is something that the average uh, media consumer has never even heard of, really. Uh, let's take a look at, yeah, there's, there's the revolver exclusive there, but you guys have, um, I, I did a search for pipe bomb on uh, Revolver News. Hopefully I don't get a uh, FBI call later for that. But I, uh, I found about 20 articles that were internal and external that you guys had about the pipe bomb. And so th we need to get to the bottom of that. And you're saying chain of custody would be one way to really get the information we need to expose this, right? Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's an, it's a really re remarkable thing. Like, you know, in, we don't have time to get into all of the details of the pipe bomb case, but suffice it to say, it's it's simply impossible. It will blow your mind if you understand the details of it versus what they're you know putting forth as an official explanation. Everything from the conditions under which the RNC pipe bomb was discovered to the circumstances under which the DNC pipe bomb was not discovered, even though it was out there for 17 hours even though like the secret service is on record saying they swept the area, they magically didn't find it. It came out after a year of an assiduous cover-up that Kamala Harris was actually in that building. Hence the secret service sweep. Why did they cover up Kamala Harris's presence in the building when they could have milked the idea of, Oh, the first, you know, woman vice president elect of color was in direct personal uh, existential danger from this pipe bomb. Why didn't they avail themselves of that narrative when every single news outlet was trying its desperate best to frame January 6th as the next type of 9-11? Why would they leave that on the table? That's a very uh, strange thing. And furthermore, given all of these suspicious aspects of the pipe bomb, it's pretty damn strange and convenient to see that the FBI and the footage that it's released is deliberately withholding footage that would show definitively that the pipe bomber actually planted the bomb where and when they said he did. And furthermore, as I mentioned, they went out of their way to artificially tamper with their surveillance footage, tampering with the frame rate that is an unheard of frame rate of like an average of 1.4, 1.6 frames per second, which you don't see in the surveillance industry. The lowest that you'll ever see is like eight frames per second. 
And this is the DNC headquarters we're talking about. And so, and for that matter, it's bizarre that the Democrats have exhibited zero interest in this, that the Democrats have exhibited right. zero interest in uncovering the identity of the ostensible MAGA Trump-loving terrorist pipe bomber who planted an explosive device outside of their national headquarters. You would think if this was all kind of above board, nothing weird going on, that the Democrats would be leading the charge to find out who this guy is. But instead, it's Revolver.News, the Trump, you know, supporting uh, you know, website that is at the forefront of, of this. And so, again, these things, it, it doesn't lend itself to an innocent explanation, but it does lend itself to an obvious explanation. And that is, again, in a nutshell, January 6th was a Fed surrection, period. Yeah. And when people like you started saying this a while back, it seemed so uh, out there. And yet, Headline after headline in the past few months has eroded the credibility of the intelligence agencies like the FBI. And so it's, it's easily believable at this point in time for the average person. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I'm going to talk to you, Darren, about the decline of America, how diversity and inclusion and changing demographics are resulting in our infrastructure crumbling, of planes crashing, of all kinds of bad things happening. And no one's willing to talk about it except for Revolver. Talk about that as soon as we get back. The world is about to shift. Banks are going cashless globally with the emergence of central bank digital currency, which will bring with it programmable money and the ability to turn on or off your purchasing power based on your digital social profile. It's like the equivalent of spyware in your bank account. You need to get out of the system with the world's safest and most private assets, silver and gold. Call Kirk Elliott, PhD, 720-605-3900. Rate lock is an innovative new feature that allows you to lock in your rate of return at any time during the year to lock in these volatile upswings of the market. And unlike CDs and money market accounts, they accumulate tax deferred and can participate in the upside of market indexes. And they're probate free and they can provide income that you can't outlive. Let a company you can trust help you select a rate lock annuity that's right for you. Call the Cleveland Insurance Group at 844-USA-2024. That's the Cleveland Insurance Group at 844-USA-2024. The Cleveland Insurance Group, 844-USA-2024. Well, believe it or not, that was not in a third world country. That was in the United States. And uh, the subject of a revolver exclusive, exclusive entitled America lost the hardworking men who held her together and now she's crumbling. And uh, a good example of this is what Pete Buttigieg recently said. Let's take a look at that. To work with your contractors, uh, to work with your community colleges on building a workforce that reflects the community. We have heard way too many stories from generations past of infrastructure where you got a neighborhood, often a neighborhood of color, that finally sees the project come to them, but everyone in the hard hats on that project looking like, uh, uh, you know, doing, doing the good paying jobs, don't look like they came from anywhere near the neighborhood. Right. You can build community wealth that will help close wealth gaps in this country if we can tear down those barriers. But that happens at the delivery level. Uh, 
you know, what Pete said wouldn't have been so controversial if it hadn't been on the tales of East Palestine, where he wasn't willing to visit and wasn't willing to talk about the problem. And then when he did have something to say, it was just, well, we need to have less white people working in construction, more black people or minorities or what have you. And I bring this up because of this exclusive you guys wrote. Uh, America lost the hardworking men who held her together. Now she's crumbling. Um, a lot of subjects covered in this article. Can you talk about how you guys decided to tackle this issue? Well, you know, Revolver uh, prides itself on covering really the major themes going on in, in American politics and technology and society and so forth. And one of the themes that we've been in touch with uh, for a long time was American infrastructure and the, you know, the crumbling and really decrepit state of American infrastructure. It's a theme that goes back to something that Donald Trump raised repeatedly, talking about the dilapidated state of our airports versus the airports that you can find in some, some other countries, um, particularly in Asia and the Middle East are pristine. Um, and, you know, these things being kind of reflective of a larger decline in American society. And so we've had a number of classic pieces on this issue, most of which are referenced in the piece that you bring up. But this latest piece focuses on the specific contribution of basically incompetence, the decline of human capital uh, in the decline of infrastructure. And basically, there's a kind of a the tiered nature to the decline. The first tier is you don't have people who are capable, who have the vision and the creativity to create new and exciting infrastructure projects. And then, but the second stage is where we at now is you don't even have the second class of people who are capable of maintaining the infrastructure that was created in previous generations. And so over time, we're dramatically losing the capability to maintain a kind of uh, complex first world society. And you're seeing the effects of that all over the place as sort of the older generations with the kind of maintenance know-how to, you know, keep, keep things moving, keep, keep the lights on, so to speak, are being phased out of the workforce due to old age and has um, younger and perhaps less well-prepared generations uh, take their place. And you're seeing this in a whole host of domains of how when things switch to there's an emergency and the automated system you know, is down for a while and you need manual maintenance, it's just uh, a, complete, a complete disaster. And you're seeing it in increased power outages, um, uh, problems at airports, whether, you know, dangerous all the way down to simply inconvenient with flight cancellations, you're seeing it simply everywhere. And there are no signs of this getting any better, unfortunately. Certainly the older generation is just going to retire at a higher rate. And so as far as the demographic and age side of this is definitely going to accelerate what about the idea of policy, of affirmative action, of diversity, equity, and inclusion, and quotas, and these various things? How much is that, do you think, a part of what's going on? Well, I think it's probably playing a great deal of a role. And, you know, you're seeing very disturbing things like 
airline advertisements saying, oh, we're we're looking to be, you know, the <laughs> increased diversity in the cockpit and things like this, which is, you know, it's it's one thing to increase diversity in sectors that, you know, maybe the repercussions aren't as severe, but you'd think if you'd want to elevate competence as a chief criteria, uh, chief vetting criteria anywhere, it would be, you know, who you have to pilot a plane that's full of hundreds of, you know, hundreds of innocent uh, people who probably, you know, want to want to go on living. And so uh, you see it in a lot of domains. You see the accelerated version now in South Africa, which is really the modern version of South Africa is essentially founded on an aggressive uh, version of affirmative action. And their lights are literally out. It's literally a blackout. Uh, society where you know they can't even maintain electricity and it's fat it's very quickly uh descending into really emergency like conditions and look south africa used to be a first world country um so you know for these kinds of things like what Buttigieg was talking about um you know saying oh we need to you know basically have affirmative action to have you know, diversify the workforce on these important construction projects. Here, I would say, you know, I have a, I have a kind of a, ha- a tongue-in-cheek, but you know, half-serious line about the military-industrial complex and wars. And I'm saying, look, if we're going to have to give up our tax money to the defense contractors anyway, why don't we just have them calculate how much profit they would make off of the next war? We give them the money and then we just skip the war because, you know, even then we'd all be better off. Right. Let's just forget about the pretense. Let's just say, okay, what would you make on your next war that you're pushing for? Okay, here's the check. Let's forget about the war. Kind of analogously, I would say for for, you know, this, you know, uh, diversity hiring push, we could say, okay, how much money would they make? Let's just hand them a welfare check and, you know, for, they don't have to work. <laughs> Let's say for the important things, we again, we want the most competent people on the job. Um, and if it means having to, you know, give a give a you know, higher government assistance ch- a check to prevent, you know, some building from collapsing or some other thing that right. results in needless casualties, I'd say we should we should take that option <laughs> if we can if we can. Well, get I know it. I know it's tongue in cheek, but, you know, America retooled its domestic capabilities for the war machine in World War II, and it, it became greatness. And then it's like a beast that we couldn't dismantle. Now we're just writing blank checks to Ukraine. So if we could just direct that money and retool the war machine to, to fixing our own country, that'd be great. But it seems like the people in power uh, have have really been captured. And so they have no incentive to to save America. And I just want to ask you, when you do this work at Revolver, are you thinking about America turning into South Africa and that's what's at stake and that's what you're, what you're trying to do to prevent that from happening? Well, there are certainly elements of that. My description of the modern American dystopia, which I describe as I've coined this term, globalist American empire, which has a convenient and instructive acronym. And I think the globalist American empire is essentially a dystopia that combines the worst elements of previous dystopias. There's, it's a combination of, uh, of the worst elements of South Africa, the worst elements of Brazil, and the worst elements of East Germany. Uh, but this is 
the 2.0, maybe 3.0 version. So it's a combination of the worst elements of South Africa, Brazil, and East Germany. And uh, this dangerous and unfortunate cocktail um, pretty much captures the, the taste of what we live in right now in the globalist American empire. Well, day by day, there's more headlines that make it seem like we're in a South Africa type of crumbling society. And so it's accelerating. We need to do something to stop it. And so I still believe uh, Trump is a way, reelect him, support him, fix the elections so that when he is reelected, we can actually install him there. Uh, But, you know, I could pick your brain all day about the idea of what is the next part of this dystopia. You guys have amazing exclusives on Revolver. We can show on the screen the, uh, the woke AI. Uh, dystopian final frontier that's a great article have another one make the death penalty great again so really touching on those taboo topics that no one else will talk about darren thank you so much for your great work thanks for joining us today we'd love to have you back really appreciate your time and uh yeah let's let's talk again soon very soon darren we're going to take a quick break when we come back we're going to talk to chris paul about this crumbling infrastructure about the oil fires in mexico about these train crashes in the united states and a lot more as soon as we get back. We're getting all too familiar with these large plumes of smoke as if we live in a war zone, and yet it's, it's these accidents, so-called accidents. We're going to be talking to Chris Paul, the host of the Be Reasonable podcast, about this. Chris, thanks for joining again. Three fires in Mexico, three train derailments in the USA in three weeks, uranium leak in Tennessee, too, by the way. How do you frame this in your own mind of what's going on and how it's accelerating? Well, you know, it's interesting that you said it looks like a war zone, and I think that that's maybe the right uh, construct to view this in. You know, we are battling a war, a a worldwide um, war effort, and I did an episode on this last week. I called it the war of all against all. We have this global regime that, you know, Darren was just talking about, and that regime is waging war on the people of the world on sovereign nations and on sovereign individuals. And this is the sort of thing that you would expect to see. These images do look like what we would see in a war, you know, buildings blowing up nonstop. And, you know, you can talk about the, uh, 
the uh, the food processing plants and the chicken farms, and you can just go on and on at these events that we have not witnessed throughout our lives on any sort of regular basis, and now we're seeing them all the time. And you know, maybe we're just finally waking up to things that have been happening throughout our lives. And this is the first time that we're really paying attention to them. I suppose that's possible. People say that about the train derailments, but uh, it is everywhere now and we do need to pay attention to it. And we should be uh, thinking about and have in the back of our minds that this, that there is some connection to all of this. Right. The first time this really came to my mind was back in Lebanon a few years ago when there was this gigantic explosion, like almost like a nuclear bomb went off. And it was supposedly uh, some arms that were stashed somewhere and then the, the arms were, were caught on fire or exploded. And then that caused a huge explosion. But it was basically turned Lebanon into a war zone immediately. And uh, no one took responsibility for it. You know, no state actors, uh, you know, and, and just made me realize, wow, there is this underground war raging where uh, these types of ops are done. And then people just don't take credit for it. They don't want this to be uh, above board where, where people are recognizing people in uniforms and who's fighting who. This is a secret war. Uh, and now, I mean, uh, once again, we have to give credit to Tucker Carlson for being willing to mainstream the ideas uh, that we're talking about where regular folks can start to consider this idea of fifth generation warfare. Well, I want to switch gears and talk to you about Woody Harrelson on a liberal show like SNL, actually saying the thing you're not supposed to say. I think the timing is right. Let's take a look at the clip. Okay, so the movie goes like this. The biggest drug cartels in the world get together and buy up all the media and all the politicians and force all the people in the world to stay locked in their homes and people can only come out if they take the cartel's drugs and keep taking them over and over. I threw the script away. I mean, who is going to believe that crazy idea? That was a perfect joke, by the way. Uh, so, Chris, you know, what do you think about the timing of this? And, and let's take a look on screen of Kanakoa, the great's perfect analysis of this, where he's, he says, Woody Harrelson says the biggest drug cartels in the world get together and buy up the media. And then the entire corporate media is weaponized against him for making a joke about that. So, Chris, what's your response? Well, I love to see this kind of stuff because it means, you know, you mentioned things being mainstreamed by Tucker Carlson. This is another element to that mainstreaming where the most normie of normies finally do begin to see that this narrative is not going away. It is unstoppable. People are going to understand what all of this is about. You know, Woody's an interesting character uh, because his father was a, a mob hitman. And his father actually had taken credit for assassinating JFK. And that's been widely disputed. I'm not asserting that that's true. I don't know if that's true. But there was a person there who looked like him, and he did take credit for that. You know, that's all been scaled back. And he said that he was just out of his mind at the time and whatever. Maybe he thought that that was going to help him uh, preserve his life for longer after getting arrested. Um, but he's right on, and I love the the description there. Um, I love using that bit of sarcasm to kind of put it in people's heads 
where they actually have to think about it. Like, wait, what's he really saying there? Right. That's what gets the wheels turning. And so I like the approach. I think that the pushback to it has been really uh, funny. I don't imagine that anyone is buying those explanations um, in those headlines like you just showed on the screen. This is not an anti-vax conspiracy. Woody described exactly what's happening. They do own the media. They do propagandize the citizens and they do want them taking these pharmaceutical products for the rest of their lives. And they did uh, hold them hostage in their own homes. We can't ever forget yes. that. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I want to talk to you about a story that is stranger than fiction. The guy who is researching Kitty Hobbs and uh, all types of bribery crimes in Arizona is his own child is taken away and his own wife is implicated in the crimes. Talk about that as soon as we get back. At Nature Rains, we're dedicated to a holistic way of living that improves your quality of life from one day to the next. It all begins with a new technology called the Quantum Cellular Scan. We will remotely map the inside of your body from organs and vital signs, frequencies and tones, and find the results that will help identify what your body needs. We then tailor a health plan that fits you specifically. Welcome to a world of natural health. Welcome to Nature Rains. Did you know that there is a community of human beings that live to be well over 100 years old? The Hunza people live to be anywhere between 120 to 140 years old. Their secret? Vitamin B17. At Richardson Nutrition Center, we have developed a product line to easily incorporate B17 back into your diet. Use your special American Media Periscope code AMP888 to receive 15% off your first order at rncstore.com. We have got to, is that right? Things that did not come out yesterday, um, and, and it, because it's not quite been, it's not really been a private matter, it's been public, but it wasn't apropos for the hearing yesterday, is that my child, my, my youngest child, my oldest child is 22, he's about to graduate from college and go to law school. My youngest child is five years old. I haven't seen my youngest child uh, since September 16, 2019, uh, 2020, so 29 months now because he was abducted and, and has been kept from me. And you cannot get, because of what I'm investigating, I have not been able to get police support or court support. I actually have been somewhat supportive of the courts. What's happened is, is that every time we get an order, um, nobody's been willing to do anything with the orders. So what's happened as a practical matter is, you know, we've gotten orders to get this child that we can't enforce because police, op police officers and officials who we are investigating will simply refuse the order, won't carry out the order. So I've now had a child who I haven't seen since he was literally almost three years old. I can't get back at the moment. And just to go a step further with that, so your audience knows you know, a little more of the story, um, it's not just that I can't get him back. It's that he's been used to blackmail me into dropping these investigations. Members who are directly involved, who directly were involved in his being abducted, came to me right afterwards and said very specifically, if you do not drop these investigations, you will not see him. Wow, just an unbelievable story. John Thaler, researching corruption that implicates Kitty Hobbs and the Arizona election databases. And he found out his own wife was in on it. 
and there was a bribery scheme using phony mortgages and insurance claims. We're going to have to follow up more on this story. But Chris, have you looked into this at all? Well, just, I mean, to the same extent, um, you know, it seems that you have my takeaway is the same. We need to definitely look more into this. From what we heard in the hearing the other day, though, this does sound plausible. I mean, we've heard similar stories before, and we know what the cartel influence is in Arizona. Um, I look at cartels as essentially uh, private armies of the global regime. I mean, the cartels run the drug trafficking, the human trafficking, the child trafficking, the uh, weapons trafficking. They will traffic just about anything. And they're running the immigration at the southern border, which I deem to be a slave trade at this point. We're talking about people who are approached by NGOs around the world after their countries have been impoverished by the global regime. They are brought uh, to countries south of our border where they're handed off to cartels. Cartels bring them across our border and hand them off to global affiliated NGOs in America. They're distributed throughout the country and they are exploited for their labor and their political power. This is what the cartels are involved in doing. And we know that the cartels are involved in politics. We know that they're, uh, they don't have any hesitation to uh, kidnap, murder, beat, threaten, blackmail. Um, so it's no surprise to me whatsoever that in a border state like Arizona, where this stuff is facilitated often with the uh, knowledge and complicity of elements of the government, it's no surprise to see this happening there. You know, we know about what's uh, coming at the uh, Phoenix airport with Skybridge as a hub of what they call international trade. But that is, you know, what, what are they trading internationally that requires this, uh, you know, eased system of transfer at a, an airport that is close to the Southern border. So there is something very rotten going on in Arizona. You know, it's always good to be skeptical about these things until we see all the hard evidence or we've got it sufficiently backed up. And I think that that's what we're working on now, but it's absolutely yeah. something to keep our eyes on. And there's no reason to just dismiss it out of hand. No, certainly not. This guy has a record of looking into white collar crime. So he, he knows his stuff. And on his website, you can actually get some documents. You can take a look at some of the uh, the deeds and so forth, or these phony mortgages where the politicians uh, were were getting bribed uh, with these phony transactions and insurance claims and so forth. We can take a look at the next image to, to give you an idea. We can actually find the politicians' names uh, on these yeah. uh, deeds. So he's giving some documents on his website for people to dig through. So I'm hoping we can report back pretty soon on the legitimacy well, I want to talk to you, Chris, briefly about this National Day of Hate. First time I ever heard of it. Uh, and I'm on Gab, which is an anti-Semitic QAnon conspiracy social media site. <laughs> and I never heard from like six degrees of separation with other far-right extremists about a National Day of yeah. Hate. Uh, only heard about first time from the ADL. Uh, and apparently they're doing a lot of fundraising off of this. Uh, let's take a look at this video.
So everyone's vigilant. Everyone's been put on high alert. And of course, nothing happened because this is a complete media farce. Chris, what's your take? Yeah, that's it, man. And we see these things over and over again. You know that this this all started with this leaked memo from the NYPD, and it is actually a draft memo. So someone puts together this memo, someone leaks it out to the press, and then there's no responsibility for ever putting this memo out because it was just a draft memo. They weren't ready to come out and talk about it in public. So what was the warning really then? You know, this is a story that is concocted from nothing and the proof is in the story. You know, if this was a real threat, a credible threat, then they would put out real warnings and the police department would be happy to put their name on it rather than leak a draft memo. You know, this stuff gets put out and all of the uh, leftist influencers on Twitter and elsewhere, the people who are literally paid to uh, spread this sort of propaganda, go all in on it. And they create enough public noise that the public believes something really is happening. And then nothing happens and no one even notices. They just remember feeling, oh, there are hate groups and those hate groups are going to be coming for people this weekend. But it's it's never there. And the problem is that everyone is so easy, uh, so ready to believe this kind of stuff. It's because they are inadvertently uh, part of a hate movement now. Everything that's bad is because of Trump or because of white Americans or because of America first. Every single thing they blame. They blame the Ohio train derailment on Donald Trump. Everything gets blamed on Donald Trump so that they don't have, yes, and it's our fault so that they don't have to. flyover state, uh, blue-collar white Americans who are so ignorant, uh, the untouchables, Mm -hmm. the the deplorables, the unvaccinated class. Uh, And, you know, this boogeyman of the white supremacists has been pushed so hard by the FBI and by the Biden regime and so forth. And yet, if there really was a gigantic neo-Nazi white supremacist movement in the United States, do you really think they would create a cringe holiday called the National Day of AIDS? I mean, they probably name it something else. Well, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I want to talk to you about Elon Musk and his latest statements waking up the normies every single day as soon as we get back. Banks are supposed to be the safest placeholders for cash in the world. But in 2022, that changed. The Federal Reserve pulled out $2.5 trillion of liquidity out of the banks. And the Fed also changed the requirements so banks don't need to keep any funds on hand. This means banks are starved for liquidity and have now become very dangerous places to hold your assets. Get out of the system with the world's safest and most private assets, silver and gold. Call Kirk Elliott, Ph.D. at 720-605-3900. Here's what you missed at the last Ask the Expert. Everything that happens bad in your life is not bad. What determines whether it is or not, um, that's a question I hope one day you can answer for yourself. You ask the questions. You participate. Next time, interact with Alex Newman. Ask the Expert, every Thursday night at 8.30, only on Amp Insider. Welcome to a new era of connecting patriots, Amp Insider. Talking to Chris Paul, the host of the Be Reasonable podcast. And Chris, you were just saying in the earlier segment about how significant 
cartels are as part of that deep state infrastructure, almost like the military arm, uh, the, the, the mob that's willing to do the hits on anyone that they're paid to do. And uh, living in Brazil, I can say I'm noticing how the cartels are almost quasi-governmental. They have their own kind of like they rule territories. They have their own jurisdictions that they that they rule and they um, have their own kind of police forces and and norms that they set up. And it's all across Latin America, of course. Uh, but, you know, what we just showed on the screen was the MS-13. Three of the leaders were recently uh, arrested. This is great news. And this is a joint task force that was, uh, you know, Trump and Barr created the effort here, launched in August of 2019. Their mission was to go to war against MS-13. And the director of it is John Durham's son. So that's a very interesting. Any thoughts on that, Chris? Yeah, I mean, I love this stuff. You and I think the same way about it. Uh, a lot of Trump efforts are still continuing at pace, even while Trump is out of power. Um, so, yes, I love to see this. It's very cool that it's Durham's son. We'll see what happens with uh, John Durham. But again, I think that this is the right way to think about it. You know, you talked about the cartels in uh, Latin America and South America. In other parts of the world, we have uh, terrorist organizations doing very similar things, running the opium trade or smuggling guns. These are things that do help the global regime destabilize nations and societies. And all of it works to the benefit of the same agenda. And we should not uh, see these things as these organic uh, criminal organizations as they are made out in uh, the media and in popular culture. That's a good point. You know, you see uh, these Netflix documentaries. In fact, it's like a new right. trendy TV show for Americans to watch to, to glorify these different drug cartel bosses. And yet... Very rarely do you get the inside look on how it actually works with uh, the government having their tentacles involved. Well, Elon Musk is really saying some interesting things on Twitter. He's really willing to, and he uses the same words that we use in the Anon community. I find that really fascinating. Uh, he's talking about a Russia-China alliance being inevitable and it will get stronger over time. So he's really painting the future of geopolitics for normies to understand. And then he talks about how Fauci got away with the gain-of-function research and the lab leak through a pass-through organization of EcoHealth. I mean, he's commenting on Kanakoa the Great Substack. I mean, this is a dream come true. I wanted to get your thoughts on it. Yeah, it really is. You know, first of all, Kanakoa absolutely deserves this level of attention. And I'm glad that someone like Elon Musk is there to be able to draw attention to his work because he really is spectacular. Um, but I look at Elon Musk as the uh, the face of a very large info op. And uh, I think that this is about uh, disclosure to the public of what's really going on. He's able to, you know, kind of just leave these short little uh, quips and these little statements that are a bit provocative and are sure to capture people's attention. And what comes in through that mechanism is all of the narrative are all of the narratives that we've been trying to push out there for years. 
Um, and this is how it breaks through we into the, uh, the we, we, mainstream we understanding. <laughs> exactly. And we couldn't have those conversations on Twitter before he, he bought it. So uh, what's your latest? Uh, I know you keep joining Twitter and keep getting kicked off. So he still has some rogue employees <laughs> there kicking, kicking Chris Paul yeah. off every week. That's all right, man. I uh, I use Twitter in a way that uh, begs for suspension, and so I never mind when it happens. I think it's uh, good to show people that it still exists. And, you know, the concept of the Overton window is pretty broadly understood in our culture. You know, the limit to uh, what people are allowed to discuss and people talk about opening the Overton window. I want the Overton window smashed into non-existence. I think that, uh, you know, the, the community and the culture at large can regulate what is acceptable speech. And if people deem certain speech unacceptable, then they can speak out against it and they can ignore it and they can block it out of, you know, their lives and their social media feeds. But for a higher authority, whether it's government or a tech company with the government's approval, uh, to be censoring people is absolutely wrong. And so uh, I try to push the limits of what's acceptable, you know, and I'm going to use words that they don't like. I don't believe that there's anything wrong with those words. But if Twitter does and if our culture at, at large does, then they're going to have to deal with it or they can kick me off and show everybody that that's what they're doing. That's how I approach it. And have you looked into any of the new social media protocols uh, such as Blue Sky or Noster, any of that? What, what do you think the likelihood is that that's going to be uh, something that really changes the terrain? Well, I think there's a very strong likelihood that it's going to change the terrain. I don't know what the timeline looks like. It feels like it's getting pretty close. I've tried to uh, sign up for Noster, and I'm like halfway there because I'm so ignorant about the... Uh, the ins and outs of uh, kind of the language of Bitcoin and the process and how you always have to connect like five different oh, no. platforms. Chris, it's, it's not so just you, Chris. I went to the Noster homepage <laughs> and there was no button that said, get started with this easy one, two, three process. They were like, well, this is how yeah. uh, cryptocurrency, private and public keys work. And, and there was no button that I could click to just sign up. So it's not just you. So yeah. I think we're going to have to wait a few months before everyone joins Noster. Uh, but uh, Chris, thanks for giving us your input. We're going to put links in the description below so people can follow you on Substack. And thank you all of you for watching AmericanMediaPeriscope.com. We are America's Patriot-only network. You get my breaking news updates at SeanMorganReport.com. God bless all you patriots. Good night and good luck.
we go one. 